What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome. After a long, long time, almost three months, maybe more than that. Welcome to episode 151 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, back from a long hiatus. Thank you, everybody, for still subscribing to this podcast. Glad uh, you're listening, everyone. That is listening. I am back. It was a um, crazy couple of months for me, and that's why I kind of fell off the map there also with the World Cup break in there as well and and my busy season in, in my work, and it is it was the busiest I've ever had um, to the point of some, some real exhaustion this year. And, um, well, I'm feeling a lot better now. I'm back on my feet. I'm, I am, you know, fully recovered and feeling really good. And I am loving this Sport Lisboa Benfica team 2022-2023. I know that um, this isn't <laughs> the happiest of moments right now in the season. Benfica have been eliminated from the Portuguese Cup by way of a penalty shootout against Sporting Braga. but. But I think the team is going to come out of that match stronger than ever or stronger than all season. I really do believe that. I saw so much in that match that I think this team is going to build. This team is tough. This team has an attitude. This team has character. And I think they're going to come back stronger and stronger now. Um, a lot to say in that about that match. A lot to unwrap. I got a lot to say on what's happened in the past uh, three, uh, almost three months. Um, you know, basically since the end of the World Cup, since December 30th, uh, when Befica returned to play. Yes, there was the Tasa de Liga in there. Maybe I'll I'll give my thoughts on that as well. But that to me was was little more than a second preseason. Um you can you can call it what I want. Yes, I wanted Benfica to win that competition because I want Benfica to win every competition. I want to fill the museum with more trophies. Okay, funny how as soon as our rivals win that tournament, it goes from being the Tasa de Cerveja, the Beer Cup, to all of a sudden it is the Champions League to these teams. And uh, suddenly how much the, that trophy means to them. Um, really, really, really funny when the shoe was on the other foot, when we won four in a row, you know, it was, it was, we were mocked for it. Um, but, but, really, um, I was, and I actually did, I should say, start to record an episode the day after the first Braga match that we lost up there, the 3-0, in which I was absolutely livid, in which I wanted Enzo, <laughs> I wanted Enzo Fernandez's head on a platter. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about Enzo in this episode. I'm going to save that because tomorrow I'm going to be recording a review of Rui Costa's interview from from the transfer deadline day uh, where he explains that transfer. And that's when I will unload on Enzo. Um, I'm going to save that. I'm going to record that tomorrow, put it in the can, and then I will I will release it at a later date. Uh, for now, I'm not going to really touch on that too much. I really don't want to. Instead, leave the focus for the guys that are here, the guys that want to be with us, um, and the ones that want to wear our, our emblem and our, our jersey. Um, Again, so many guys, I think, have stepped up. Uh, there's players that need to be mentioned. And uh, my focus in this episode is going to be on them. Um, but first, of course, I'm going to talk about this second Braga match, this cup quarterfinal. That's where we're going to start. Um, tough, tough, 
pill to swallow. Uh, really could not have asked anything more of this Benfica team in this match other than perhaps to to convert a penalty um, <laughs> for Auschwitz. But let's, let, let me get one thing straight. Before we even talk about what happened in this match, this is not Auschwitz's fault. I know it was not a good penalty. Um, he missed in the same exact place he had missed a couple of weeks ago against Portimonis uh, when João Mario, for some reason, uh, allowed him to take the penalty. But when you look at the reality of what we were facing in that penalty shootout, okay, and I'm not going to come here and, and, and hammer, you know, uh, Odie for this because Odie played a good match and made key saves to keep that match tied. Okay, you, I'll give you a balanced, uh, a balanced view of of Odie's play in that match. However, it's clear penalty kicks are not his thing. It wouldn't even be a bad idea if Benfica started to think about uh, possibly an older goalkeeper who might be a penalty, uh, a penalty specialist that maybe they could sub in, in these situations. I don't think it would be a bad idea to add a guy like that. Um, a guy on the tail end of his career, but who can still come in and save a pen here and there. Um, it, it looked like the only way that we were going to stop a penalty would be if Braga missed the, the goal completely. Um, even if Auschwitz scores that and it's five, five, Remember, we have two fewer shooters, which means they get to remove their two weakest shooters. Presumably, the goalkeeper, Mateusz, would be one of them. So we only had four guys left to shoot after that. And uh, it, it's it's bleak. I mean, we had Gilberto. We had Lucas Ferissimo, which probably would have been the next shooter, I'm guessing. Uh, we have Rafa, who does not like to take penalties, who just does not take them. I mean, even when he's, uh, you know... When he could close out a hat trick, he and he has every opportunity to take the pen to to complete a hat trick. He doesn't. And then we have also Odie, who would have had to take a penalty at some point. Um, unlikely that we would have won that penalty shootout if we didn't do it in the first five. Um, but without Braga missing, even if it's five five, I don't think there's really any realistic way we lose that penalty shootout. I mean, I suppose it's possible that the next Braga guy would step up under the pressure because we were shooting first. Uh, if presumably Lucas Verissimo, who was next, who I believe would have been next, steps up and converts, then uh, maybe maybe the pressure gets to the next Braga player and he sails one or he hits a post or, or something. But um, it's... It's, it's a difficult pill to swallow. Like I said, very tough to lose that way when you really didn't deserve to lose. Braga can say all they want. And let me, let me, let me first start by saying this. I have a ton of respect for Sporting Club Braga. Okay. I have a ton of respect for that team, for the football that they play, for the football they try to play. Okay. There were things that happened in this match on and off the pitch that, really disappointed me from from Braga okay and, and I just I don't buy the excuses okay first of all reducing the capacity or reducing the availability of the public to go to the match and opening it only to your sauce use not because there's that demand but because you don't want to fill the stadium is absolutely minor league it is it is piss poor it is semi pro 
That is a shame. That is an embarrassment to Portuguese football. And I never thought I would say that about this club. They gave Benfica the, the mandatory 5% tickets. Okay, fine. The only thing you heard all match was Benfica fans. That's the only thing you heard. You even heard the PA, the PA announcer, as they call him in Portugal, the speaker, try to get these Braga sauce going. He's going Braga, Braga. And, and it's just not Braga. It's not catching. Our, our fans, what, however few of them were in there, were singing over them all match long. All you could hear was Benfica Nation in the quarry. They did not want to open the whole stadium, open all the seats, because they knew we would fill that stadium with our fans and it would become a home match for us. The fact that you can't fill your own stadium is your problem, not ours, not the Federation's. Now, by not opening the stadium, they also, because tickets at this level are split. It's not 50-50 from what I understand, it's 33-33-33. Okay, so the Federation, they, they take their 33, and for whatever reason, they, they with their amateur organization of this, this competition, and they, they're just a joke. The, Federa the Portuguese Federation, the FPF, is a joke. And to allow this, this should, have been this should have been sanctioned. There should have been sanctions coming down. There should have been penalization. There should be fines. Benfica should be entitled to financial compensation because they have a right to 33% of the gate. And Braga did not open the gate to enough people. A crowd of 12,000 in change in a... Portuguese Cup quarterfinal is an embarrassment in a stadium that holds, what, 30,000 people? Embarrassment. Even the New England Revolution draw more than 12,000 people at a game. Absolute embarrassment from a club that I always put on a pedestal. I look at them. I, I, you don't hear me say the big three. It's always the big four or the big five for me. I hold Braga and Vitória Guimarães above everybody else along with the the traditional quote unquote big three. I I I don't want this to sting, but this would not have happened in Guimarães. Vitoria would have filled their stadium with their fans. It is not Benfica's problem that Braga doesn't have enough fans to fill the stadium when Benfica comes to town. All season we have seen that top level empty during Braga games. All season. They'd rather have empty seats and create a lousy atmosphere, create a lousy television product, and then they're going to want us to share television revenue in a couple years with clubs like this, and worse, share television revenue with the Portimonenses and Famalicons of the world, Famalicão Maritimo, who don't allow our fans to even wear their, their Benfica gear in their stadium. They want to fill their stadium but they won't let us wear our, our gear. Everybody wants to take money from Benfica while still trying to disrespect Benfica all the time. What's next? Are they going to want to do revenue sharing on the gates too so that Benfica gets 60,000 people in the Stadio Delusion then we got to split all the money with all the other teams? No. It's time for the club to take a hard stand. Rui Costa needs to fight the centralization of TV rights 
because of events like this. The Portuguese league wants to brag about their their little Taça da Liga final being the most watched football match on Portuguese television in 2023. Great, 2023 is a little over a month old. Congratulations. There was nobody at the stadium. You had 15,000 people in Ladia that day. That's pathetic. Benfica in a home game in that competition at 41,000. Again, our eyeballs are the ones that watch these matches. We are the ones who buy the subscriptions, by and large, way over everybody else. And now it's our responsibility to fund the small teams in the league, the teams down the table who do not try, teams with no fan base, teams who, who can't fill their own stadium, who play matches in front of a thousand or fewer people. João Gonçalves on his Fever Pitch podcast talks every week when he does his Domingo Sportivo format. He runs down the attendances in Portugal, and they're pathetic. They are absolutely embarrassing. There's no excuse. Don't don't email me with excuses about oh it, it's it's you know uh, it's a crisis and we don't have no. A lot of these clubs charge next to nothing. And you know what? If the clubs would learn something, if nobody's coming to your game, drop your prices. You all have sausages. Drop your prices. If the cottage are paid, let them in the door. You want to sell TV rights outside? You want to sell this product outside of Portugal? And centralize TV rights? Make a product that's worth watching on TV. 12000 at a Portuguese Cup quarterfinal? is not worth watching on TV. If that was not my club, I would have been I would have easily been tempted to watch something else. I'd rather watch the Saudi League. Their stadium is full. Their fans are are making noise. 12,000 fans in a quarter final between two of the big 4. Between two good football teams. That's the part that pisses me off. It's two good football teams. Braga, when they play us, look like giants. When they go to Alvalade, it's another story. And I'm not trying to, to aggravate Braga fans. Again, I respect them. I hope they win the rest of their matches from now until the time they come to the Luge. I really do. I hope they win every single one they play from here until then. I hope they win the Portuguese Cup. I am not joking about that. I will be happy if they lift the cup. But this cannot happen. This is not how you run a federation. This is not how you promote a sport. The, these practices are from the Stone Age in this country. I love Portugal with all my heart, but my goodness, their organizational, uh, their organizational abilities, their marketing, their business mindset is so antiquated. They don't know how to build a product and sell it. Never mind the fact that the the Tasa the Liga the, the the League Cup was impossible to find. You have to go to if you live in the United States and you want to watch it legally, you have to go to Fight TV, a pay per view app that I use to watch boxing and to watch mixed martial arts and professional wrestling, and pay. That game costs thirty dollars to to purchase on Fight TV. That Sporting versus Port, Portuguese Cup final. These are the type. Uh, of providers that the Portuguese League and the Portuguese Federation do business with, they don't care about the fans. It's 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 quite it's quite obvious with their 9:15 p.m. weeknight starts, 
another thing that that helps keep people out of the stadiums. They it, it it's unreal, you know, it is unreal. And then they they do business with, with brands like this. Yes, I know we are not in Portugal. We are across the world, and we are very small to you. But we that purchase these. <laughs> Purchase these streaming packages and purchase these satellite packages. We line your pockets. We line your pockets. Nobody in Portugal is paying 90 euros a month or, you know, the equivalent of $90 a month for a streaming package like the average person here does. Just so I can have Fubo with BTV and with... Sport, uh, not Sport TV. That's not even on it anymore. But with PTV and RTP on it, okay. Then I'm paying ten dollars a month to get a VPN so that I can log in in Portugal and watch TVE or Seek when the games are there. The amount of money that Portuguese football fans outside of Portugal pay to follow this sport or on merchandising, we are disrespected. By this league. And Befica is the most disrespected of all. These referees don't respect us. The league doesn't respect us. We fund everything. We fund everything. And then they still spit in our face. No matter where we go. You hear the chance of Filhos de Puta SLB. Everywhere we go. We fill your stadium. We give you your money. We, we have you meet your, your financial obligations every season. With our visit. And you call us Fuse the Puta. Embarrassment. It's just an embarrassment. And then you want to centralize TV rights so that we can fund you. Go screw yourself. Liga Portugal, FPF, go screw yourself. Okay, now that that rant is over, let's get into the match. Okay. Again, Benfica eliminated on pins by a Braga team. Um, that are good. I'm not saying they're not good. Again, I'm not saying they're not good. And uh, if he hasn't shut this off yet, shout out to my boy Dave. Okay. Uh, the Braga fan. Um, my friend Dave. He, he's he's a cool dude. Dave Pareda uh, on Twitter. And, um, you know, him and I exchanged some messages after the match. And I, I you know, I, I told him I hope they go on to win the cup. I really do. I don't want Porto to win the cup. That's for sure. And Nacional or... Nacional or who else is left? Family Cone, they're not going to win the cup. So I fully, fully hope that it is Braga at the end of the, at the end of this, at the Jamur. If that's where they have the final, you never know with these things. Again, the FPF, uh, nothing sacred anymore for them. They'll sell their souls to anything. Um, I hope they are the ones that lift the cup. Um, but Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot I didn't like about this, and um, for them to say that they it was, you know, they had over ninety, almost ninety minutes of a man advantage. Okay, they scored one goal, and that goal came because it was right after the sending off. Do we go to the sending off first? Do I talk about Gonzalo Guedes' goal? Do I talk about the return of Gonzalo Guedes? It's been so long since I've been on this microphone. Gonzalo Guedes has returned to Benfica. This was a great, great acquisition. It, it is a loan um, with the money Benfica brought in with the, the Enzo sale. If things go well, fingers crossed, maybe we can convince him to stay. Maybe we can make a purchase. You know, we can buy, we can buy him, purchase his contract from Wolves. Maybe he can stay. He can be a key player for us going forward. 
Benfica need players in their prime. Okay, Benfica need players that are not going to come and get cherry picked by the Sharks. The problem with Benfica's model of going to get players for profit, you know, getting young players and turning them over for profit is exactly what happened in this window. Instability comes in. Uh, they, you know, they come for your player and you're defenseless. Again, I will get into this more when I cover the Rui Costa interview. I will unload on Enzo. Don't you worry. Okay. I'll completely unload on him. But um, again, I think the key, what I like about right now where this team is, is we have some key guys like João Mario, Rafa, and even Auschwitz, who are in the peak of their careers. Okay. They're in the peak. And I don't see them. Well, I definitely don't see the two older guys getting, getting uh, you know, picked off by the Sharks. I think Rafa and and Joe Mario are going to play the rest of the their top form football with us, okay? Um, I think that Auschwitz, we have a good chance of keeping Auschwitz for the long haul as well. He uh, He's a fantastic player. I know he missed the penalty that ended up ending this match, but I really think that he, he is just such a good, smooth, consistent player. I'll take him any day. Uh, right now, Frederick Auschwitz is 27, so he is also in the prime of his career, okay? I think we can keep him for four or five years. Rafa's 29, okay? Rafa is 29. Uh, João Mario is, I'm pulling it up here, João Mario is 30. He's got one or two more top years, I think, in him as well. Listen, he's 30, he's peaking. He's having the best year of his career right now. I like that. Okay, those three guys I think are going to be crucial going forward. Um, we know that that at some point Gonzalo Ramos is going to be sold. Okay, we know when it's we know at some point Antonio Silva is going to be sold. We know at some point um, Otamendi is going to be too old. Right? He's a great leader. He's he he's my captain, my kind of captain. I can't tell you how strongly I feel about Nicolas Otamendi as captain. And I can't be- I still can't believe I'm saying that if you heard what I thought about him four years ago when I started this podcast. Um, go back to the episode where I rewatched the uh, 11 Ozebu <laughs> the 11 Ozebu match uh, the days after Ozebu's death, um, where Otamendi was obviously on Porto and what I said about him. It, I can't believe I I mean I can believe it, but I when I said that I never imagined I would I would be sitting here you know these three four years later and uh, talking about him being you know he, the definition uh, of a captain the definition of a guy that's defending Benfica's badge and Benfica's honor he defends Benfica's honor on the pitch and since he got back from the World Cup he has just been lights out defensively. Um, João Mario too I never thought I we'd see João Mario playing for us and I being our vice captain. And me talking about him this way, but this has been a fantastic season for him, and I hope the wave keeps riding. Okay, so I think Benfica are headed in the right place. All right, Auschwitz. I think I, I apologize for the scatterbraining right now, but I believe what I was what I was trying to say uh, is that Auschwitz should not be blamed for this loss. Uh, yeah, you know he missed his penalty. Um, Maybe he shouldn't be taking pens going forward, but between the lines in the 90 or 120 minutes, he is lights out. He just, everything is so smooth. Everything is so 
well done. And I think if we keep this core together for a couple more seasons, we can really get on a wave here and really start to build something while we start to include the newer guys, you know, one at a time and not what we did in the past where we sell everybody and then go all young for a season and lose. No, we bring them in gradually and, you know, we go forward with it. Um, it's very, very disappointing to not win that we're not going to win the cup this year because we took this cup seriously. And that's what we've been asking for for years. The manager, Roger Schmidt came in and he, he knew the history. He said it himself. Three, three cups in 25 years is not acceptable for a club like Benfica. And, um, I appreciate everything he put into this. Um, he clearly, he, I, I tried, I looked everywhere to try to get his post match commentary so I could play the audio for you. Um, it doesn't seem to, I'm wondering if Benfica took it down. Uh, most likely that he took it down because he was critical of the referee, Tiago Martins. Um, can't avoid talking about the referee, but I'll, I'll hold off on that for just a few more. Uh, moments, okay, I'll talk about that in just a minute, but let's start with the goal, I suppose, Gonzalo Guedes, getting back to where I started uh, before I went off off the rails there, uh, Gonzalo Guedes on a nice cross from uh, David Neres, we need David Neres to, to raise his game and get back to the form he was in pre-World Cup break, okay, I know he picked up some kind of injury in between, and he's still working his way back, and now because of other injuries, he's forced to play more than maybe he's ready to, but uh, a brilliant, brilliant goal off a set piece, a uh, short set piece that was played short and then played back to him. He delivered a brilliant ball to the far post. Gonzalo Guedes gets there. Gonzalo Guedes filling in for injured Gonzalo Ramos. Okay. As you know, Enrique Arujo, who's maybe my favorite of all the strikers, at least in the long term, I think he has the most upside. Um, he's been loaned out to Watford. So Gonzalo Guedes comes in. Um, at, you know, near the in the transfer window as a, a loan pickup from Wolves and settles in immediately. And, and this is where I have to give Rui Costa, Rui Pedro Braz, a lot of credit because when they make these signings, these guys fit. These guys come in and have little to no adjustment, period. Our two Norwegian signings, different story. Oh, not Norwegian, sorry, Scandinavian. One's Norwegian, one's Danish. Different story. People slow down. They were in an off season. Okay, they're not going to be ready for a little bit. That's why they're on the B team right now. Um, it's going to take them a little while. We signed them during an off season, so they haven't had a preseason yet. They're kind of doing that right now. Uh, but in the meantime, bringing in a Gonzalo Gedge and he slides right in. Uh, this guy's a Benfica. This guy loves the shirt. This guy loves the club, and he is relishing the opportunity to spend these months here. And he wants to be champion. You can see it in 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 him and in his 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 work, and he was good in this match. The problem was, of course, um, it came in what? Let's see here. What minute did this come in? It came in minutes. I think it was minute thirty. Um, yes, minute thirty. Alexander Ba sent off. Okay, sent off. Now, this is a red card. In the age of VAR, I'm not disputing the red card. Okay, not disputing it one bit. Because we are in the age of R. When you look at this at slow motion, it looks horrible. It looks it looks like PZ's leg is going to break. Shout out to PZ, who, who we see again 
after saying goodbye to him some six months ago. Uh, he's back in the Liga, and now he's back at his, his old club, the club where uh, we got him from, uh, Sporting Club Braga. And to be honest, I'm happy for Pizzi. Um, he gave he gave us everything he had and gave us some really good years and some really good um, statistics. Was was very instrumental in a number of titles, so I don't hold any hard feelings for Pizzi. Nor do I for Andre Almeida. I'll talk about that uh, if I don't forget by the end of the episode. Um, I know I was critical of both those guys at different times. But, but um, yeah, weird to see PZ on the other side. But, um, yeah, the, the, the challenge looked bad when you look at it that way. In, in, in live play, the referee only gave a yellow. The problem with this was the referee's criteria completely changed after this, this call. It's fine that the VAR called him over. Okay, yes, he got he came in high. When you look at it, that it looks horrible. However, you can also clearly see that Alexander Ba is trying to avoid the contact. Does it matter? Probably not. But but it's worth mentioning that he's trying to avoid the contact. The problem is he's running, and he's got to put his his foot down somewhere. And he tried to avoid it, and he couldn't. And he caught Peasy. I have no problem with Tiago Martins. Going to the screen, seeing that, and giving a red because that now is a red. Years ago, this would have been a yellow card, and nobody would have thought anything of it. Okay, and we talk about it on Monday after after the press had thrown it out there, right? But that's fine. Okay, uh, the problem here, and I have to say, I have not said this. I don't think I've said this yet. Roger Schmidt, in my opinion, makes a mistake here. And it's not just my opinion. This is this is a pretty uh, large consensus of Benficas that I have spoken to or that I've seen throughout the the interwebs and throughout the you know the the the, the social media, the podcasts, the YouTube channels, uh, everything. This is pretty uh, this is pretty consensual that um, this was a mistake by by Roger Schmidt. I could I could sit here and probably explain it away because. He was thinking different, you know, he had different thoughts. Of course, he didn't have much time to make this decision. Uh, what he didn't want to do was pl- was be without a right back, have to put Jerome Mario or Auschwitz at, at right back. He didn't want to do that. Or, yeah, those are the only two probably that could have gone there. Um, so he chose not to do that. Maybe even Nerej. You can't, you don't want to put Nerej at, at right back either. So he brought in Gilberto. Fine. My issue is, is taking off Gonçalves, and here is why. I understand the thought process. If you if you don't if you don't hold and this is maybe this was the spot uh, of the assistant because this is where I when I was still coaching this is where I would grab the the head, the head coach and be like hold on hold on hold on look at what you're doing here what happens when this happened what happens with first thing I would have said in the spot of the first assistant okay and this happened a few times when when I was a first assistant you know and a guy gets sent off. And he's about to, the manager's about to put in somebody and about to take someone else off and said, hold on, what happens when they draw? What happens when they pull level and we got to go get a goal? Okay. I would have said to Roger Schmidt, are you prepared if we concede to have to hold on to 1-1 for the rest of the match? It's going to be very, very hard against a team of this quality to get too many scoring opportunities. I would have kept Gonçalves on for the reason of his versatility. A guy that can play multiple positions when you are playing down a man 
is like gold. Okay, and that's why that's why, for example, Shikinu stayed on, right? Is because Shikinu can play anywhere in the in the midfield lineup, anywhere. If you play with the midfield four, he can play anywhere in the four in the midfield in this emergency situation. Um, Tino cannot. Florentino can play in the six. You're not going to move Florentino out wide. You're not going to move him to an eight. Okay. Again, that's why moving forward at halftime, Tino came off and not Shikinu because Shikinu can, if the game calls for it, can 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 move to another spot in the midfield. Gosal Getz can do that in the front. He can play at striker. He can play in the as a right winger. He can play as a left winger. Or he can play as a ten if necessary. Now you're going to lose one man. I had preferred it have been David Nersh, like most people. That that seemed to be the, the correct choice. Of course, Roger had about 30 seconds to make this decision. But I wish that the assistant coach had maybe uh, uh, had him hold him, hold on for a minute. He didn't. Um, this And I think, and again, shout out to my, my friend Dave, the Braga fan, because he thought what he thought from his perspective on the other side of the 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 coin was that he was thinking that he was keeping Nerjan to exploit Cicada and then Cicada did a, a good job marking him. Possible. Okay, I didn't think of that. Pause. I'm thinking more of I was thinking less of matchups in this point and more of versatility, more of you're going into a counter-attacking game now, okay? And you need guys to make different runs. David Nerj playing as a striker, which is way out of his element, despite his pace, despite his dribbling ability, um, would be very easy for him to get disconnected, in my opinion, whereas Gonçal Gedge has the ability to drop deeper, to come get the ball, to come and look for, for teammates in support and to try to keep the ball, right? Really, ideally, you want a hold-up player in this situation when you're going to go down to 10 and play with one on top. So the substitution is made. Gilberto comes on. Before the defense can even get organized, Antonio Silva, maybe needlessly, I don't know, i have to rewatch it perhaps, but I remember him being under very little pressure. Now, perhaps it wasn't under little pressure. Now that I think of it, it was a cross that was being whipped in, and he headed it out for a corner. But I do believe there was a Braga guy coming in at the far post that uh, could have been very dangerous if he hadn't have done that. But it, nonetheless, Antonio Silva concedes the corner. We still haven't figured out our back four in this 4-4-1 that we lined up in. It, it felt like almost it was three minutes after the substitution. Okay. Um. And Gilberto loses his mark. And if you look at it, João Mario also loses his mark. But Gilberto especially, uh, looking around, trying to figure out who his mark was. Uh, the communication was 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 lost. Perhaps some of that is on Odi. Some of it's on Otamendi, maybe. Um, this is when it's very, very dangerous. When you've made a substitution at the back, is that first set piece. Because this new player hasn't been dialed in. He hasn't been in there at this point. And he... You know, and here's what ha- he ends up being the guy that gets beat because of this. And you have a flick to the back post off of the corner, and Amusarati, Amusarati uh, gets on it. Amusarati played a, a <laughs> an absolute phenomenal match. Um, dare I say, could that be the their long term replacement for 
for Enzo. I say, you know, we have some extra money. He's 26 years old. Again, pay the exit clause. Bring him in. We could have him for four, five, six years. And nobody's coming. There's nobody coming to, to entice him to leave. Okay, he's just not young enough for the Sharks to come and entice him to leave. And we could have solid, solid years with a player like that. I know we were looking at him at one time. Looks like, you know, it sounds like Ricardo Duarte is no longer welcome at the club by most of the fans. I would still take him. Um, I know I haven't liked some of his uh, attitude lately towards us, but he is on a different team, and he is the captain of that team. But um, nonetheless... Uh, I do have to acknowledge the the massive match that Al Muzrati played. Um, he he was quite quite good in this, and he usually is quite quite good against Benfica. That's that's uh, not a a uh, new thing. It's it's he's been consistently good against us, and just like that, it's one one. And here's the issue now that Gonzalo Gedge is out, and it's how are you going to get another goal? Um, a rare mistake in my opinion, by by Roger Schmidt. And hey, we all make mistakes. Even managers make mistakes. Even the best managers make mistakes. He makes one here. I think he corrects it at, at halftime. Let's go to halftime. Um, and he makes two changes. Now he takes Nedershoff, which... And brings on Gonzalo Ramos, and to me that that acknowledges that he understood he made a mistake. I believe. I really do think he he had a moment to think about it, and he said, "How are we going to get a goal now?" It's not going to be with Nedj as a striker. Gonzalo Ramos comes on, and I think comes on before maybe he was ready to. Um, I don't know. I don't know what percentage of fitness he was at in this. He ends up getting injured again um, from a Charlie horse that the referee failed to call, failed to even review once again. And um, again, it's unavoidable talking about referees, and we're going to talk about the duality of the criteria of this Tiago Martins. Um, Remember, Tiago Martins was the VAR official at, in the Sporting match just a couple weeks ago that called a much softer penalty than the two he overlooked in this one. Uh, Tiago Martins has been in has been in the matches in which we've been eliminated from both domestic cups. Now, without losing in ninety minutes, he's been at the center of it, and um, I don't have much good to say about him. I'm going to be honest, uh, but. Here, uh, the duality becomes absolutely clear in the 55th minute. But first, here's the substitution. Gonzalo Ramos comes on. What Gonzalo brings you is a target man who can hold the ball a little. He also can drop in like uh, like the other Gonzalo, Gonzalo Gedge was able to do. If, if he gets too far disconnected, he's able to drop in. He's able to hold the ball and give your midfielders some more time to get forward. But the key substitution here, and I like this. This has been criticized by some, but I think this is the right call was to bring on Morato and bring off Florentino Luis. Again, Florentino, like I said, I'm one of his biggest fans. But he is a true six, an in-the-hole holding midfielder. When you're playing with 10, you need versatility. You can't have a guy who's fi that fixed, okay, because you can't move him if you need to, if you have a mismatch somewhere. Um, when you're down a man, everyone has to do their job and a little more, okay? He can't go forward as much. He's not a box-to-box -box player. Um, I think he's absolutely instrumental in what Benfica does. Again, he he has blown up this season and had a 
fantastic season. He's been very, very crucial to Benfica's success, in my opinion. His partnership with Enzo was something special. Um, but in this situation, down a man, I agree 100% with going with three across the, three central defenders. And it paid dividends all match when you saw any time that the ball was was driven in or crossed in in front of goal. These three won the ball and cleared it to safety. Okay, with the exception of the final, basically the final play of the regular 90, where Braga nearly won it. But um, that was as much about, about Gilberto getting completely skinned alive on the drill on the dribble by Bruma. Um, and that was a matchup I didn't like all match. I think Bruma had his way with Gilberto. But I think the three in the center really uh, limited. They limited Braga's chances to shots from distance. We saw one from each of the Orta brothers. Uh, Odie came up and he saved the the few that, that we did let through. But all in all, we really limited their chances after they equalized. They had very, very few clear scoring chances. The ones that were were more from distance, and then that very last one in the, what, 90th plus 5 or whatever it was, um, that ends up hitting the outside of the post and going wide. Uh, but I get I get it. I like the, the decision to go to 3 at the back in this situation, and why I like it is because I think if you stay with a 4-4-1, four, four, you, you're going to find yourself playing with two lines of 4 deep in your own end, and then you're going to have too much space between that midfield four and the striker. Or he's going to drop too deep and you're never going to get forward. With three central, it allows the two outside backs to become wingers. And, and it does allow, and they did, and Gilberto, but more so Grimaldo, were able to get forward um, and get a couple of chances. We were able to control the game without the ball. The first 30 minutes when we had 11, that was some of the best football Benfica have played in the entire season. This, look, I do believe, and I, I know that we'll never know, but in a parallel universe where, where that yellow card stands and isn't overturned, or in a parallel universe with no VAR, I think we win this match 3 or 4-0 with all due respect because we were just on top of them. They had no solutions. We were playing at will, moving the ball, cutting them up. But then that happened, and uh, they they got a second wind, of course. And we lost a lot of our, our dynamic. But here, I think we recovered some of it. Though we no longer were going to be able to get as many dangerous chances going forward, we were going to wait for that counter that we could hit them on. We're going to wait till they got sucked forward um, looking for a, a go-ahead goal, and then we could hit them on the counter. Um, Florentino doesn't make sense in that. To sit in front of a back three makes no sense to have him there. That's why uh, he comes off, like I said, and you see Chiquinho. In my opinion, this was the best match I've seen Chiquinho play for Benfica. Okay, he, he did everything Enzo does. Okay, maybe not as pretty. And maybe not as dangerous going forward. That that may be a stretch. But he did not hurt us in any way, shape, or form. One of our best players on the pitch also in this match was him. Okay, covering a lot of space, cutting out a lot of, of passing lanes. Uh, Befica showed a lot of discipline, controlling the match without the ball. Okay, holding Braga to a lot of possession in the middle and defensive third. Looking now 
as we continue looking at the statistics for this one, okay, um, that are not available on Fought Mob. Excellent. Uh, never mind that. Um, I don't have the 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 ball possession was 50-50. I do have it. It was 50-50 possession. So Benfica playing 90 minutes down a man managed to get 50% possession against a good team. This was not playing down a man against Maritimu, playing down a man against Verzin. Okay. Uh, Benfica obviously with three wins to get to this round, beating Kaldish, beating Istriel, and then Verzin. Um, this is not, this is Braga. This is Sporting Club Braga. This is, this is a team that has our number right now, that has had our number for a while. They continue to have our number. Um, it's a matchup that for whatever reason, we can't seem to figure out. Um, but in this match, I think we did, we did a really, this was maybe one of the better matches we've played against them up there. I think we have won against them and not played this well. But, she, again, Chiquinho just covering space. He did his job and and Florentino's job in the second half. Okay. Uh, Auschwitz also. The midfield three were just phenomenal. João Mario, listen, some people don't see it, but do you know how crucial João Mario's ability to keep the ball on his feet in order to allow our our players to get forward and out of our end and to get some territory and be able to preserve some possession. Cause when you're down a man, you rest by possessing you, you rest by moving the ball. And when you don't have the ball, you have to be completely, you know, you got to be completely on point. You got to be completely locked in is the word I'm looking for. And we were, and we were in this one. Yes. We fatigued as the game went on. Of course, uh, second half, you know, late in the second half, uh, it looked like we were struggling to get out of the 90. I really was worried about that. You know, we, a few dangerous set pieces for Braga. They have, they have absolutely torched us, killed us on set pieces this season. And, um, always nervous about those. Fortunately, none of them ended up, you know, none of them ended up coming up to anything. But I felt that if we got 30 more minutes, maybe we would find the winner. I thought we'd see Rafa in the extra time, and maybe we'd find a winner. Now, I have skipped over the penalty call, penalty kick that, by the standards of Portuguese football, is a penalty because this referee sent, as the VAR official, sent the referee to the monitor to see an identical foul identical two weeks ago at the Stadio de Luz and to call it a penalty. When it happens in front of his own eyes, he does not call it. He does not even consult the VAR. And whoever the VAR, I forgot his name. I don't want to know his name. He He's a referee from the from the AF Port, from, from the AFP, from the Associación de Port. So right there, that's already a bad start. And um, he doesn't call him over to see this. This is a penalty. I, in Portuguese standards, if it, I would, I can live with that not being a penalty if I don't see it with my own eyes being called against us and being called in favor of some other unnamed blue and white striped teams. They get penalties like this all the time. Not to mention what Ba did, Wendell has done a number of times, and he does not get sent off. VAR, no VAR, doesn't matter. VAR only comes into play when it's convenient. 
Someone explain to me how VAR does not intervene in in Rachich's <laughs> stamp on Alshness in the 55th minute. Someone explain to me how it doesn't intervene in, in the first half. Would be penalty, possible penalty. And then, again, it doesn't intervene in, what was it, the 90th minute and change when Gonzalo Ramos takes a Charlie horse. There's no question about it. Yes, the Braga defender, I forget which one it was, has his, his foot firmly planted on the ground, but he does he does put his knee out just enough to, to take him down, and clearly it's a Charlie horse that is enough to take him out of the match. Anyone who's played this game and taken a knee to the hamstring or to the side of the thigh, knows exactly what that feels like, and you're not playing anymore if it, if it hits just right. Neither one of those was reviewed by the VAR. Why? Because they would have had to give him. They would have had to give the penalty based on the criteria they have created. Based on what we see week after week in the Tugo, it doesn't matter what the foul is. It matters what team goes against. And this is nothing against Braga. Braga is not to blame for any of this. Sporting Braga is not to blame for my frustrations with them. I already vented. Most of them off the pitch. This is not their fault. They they got to play the match. They're not going to sit here and tell the referee, "Oh, that was a penalty obviously," or "Oh, I stand I should also get her." No, they're not going to do that. N nor should anyone expect that. These referees need to be competent, and they're not competent. And I will get to shortly um, some of the, the blowback about it. Um, but again, just an inconsistent, incompetent performance from Tiago Martins and from the rest of, and from the VAR crew. No question about it. That this is inexcusable, and it needs to be pointed out. It needs to be shouted. And the next time Tiago Martins is assigned a Benfica match, Rui Costa needs to be in the press, in the pregame presser, reminding everyone about this match. Every time he officiates one of our matches, this match needs to be brought up every single time. Put that pressure on him immediately. The fans, when we fill the Stadio de Luge, we need banners reminding Tiago Martins that he screwed us. It's time to play the way the rest of them do because you know what? Being the nice guy and taking the high road has got us nothing but screwed. In Portugal, I say this, I've been saying this for a while now. It's as much a political game as it is a football game. Winning the title takes political power as much as it takes ability. Roger Schmidt is learning this. Roger Schmidt said, in my opinion, this very same referee who called the very same penalty. A couple weeks ago today, he does not call it. And he's 100% right. The league is probably going to suspend him, probably going to fine him, because when we do it, it's twice as bad. Sergio Conceição can say and do what he wants. He misses a game here or there. He's been sent off, what, 23, 24 times now? And he's, nothing has happened to him. Roger Schmidt says says one thing. Let's see what what the league and what the federation wants to do to him. They are the the association of referees wants punishment for Rui Costa. Well, we want punishment for referees that don't do their job correctly. Again, this is not Braga's fault. I'm not blaming them. I'm not 
trying to take anything away from them. Again, I hope they go on and lift the cup. If we can't win it, of the teams that are left, I hope it's them. And I hope we get them back in round 31 at the Stadio de Luz, of course. And then maybe even next August in the Super Cup. All right. So the match ends again. The end of the extra time, we weren't able to get many opportunities. The end of the extra time comes, and uh, yeah, we survive. And while, you know, I applaud the effort, I was happy with the effort. Actually, very, very proud of uh, of the effort. Um, we do get another red card, I almost forgot to mention, because the referee in extra time decided that every single foul was a yellow card. Um, an absolutely ridiculously soft yellow card to to Moratu. And then he kind of uh, feels he needs to commit a foul there in the final minute of extra time and unfortunately what that does is that takes off another penalty shooter because roger schmidt is forced to make another substitution so that we can maintain our five at the back for the final seconds maybe he gets this one wrong as well uh, i would not be taking shikinu off because shikinu takes penalties shikinu converted his penalty against college Rafa does not take penalties. I know you subbed him on, but for me, Rafa's the guy that comes off if he's not going to shoot. Rafa is the guy that comes off. And we defend the final minute, and we wait for penalties. Roger didn't go that way. Again, I have nothing but respect, and, and I have enjoyed, and I love everything Roger has done this season. Okay, everybody has an off night. I think he had a little bit of an off night here. Um, so we lose, I don't know how good Moratu is at penalties, but I think I remember him converting one in the Youth League final, which is a much different story, but uh, that was three seasons ago now. But we lose him and we lose Chiquinho in the process. We keep Rafa on the pitch. I don't know why, because he does not want to shoot penalties. He's never one of the five. Chiquinho has been one of the five. So I don't understand that, that decision. Again, Auschwitz is the one that misses, and he probably shoots fourth anyways. I think Chiquinho would have shot fifth. Maybe Antonio Silva would have been the one that doesn't shoot. But again, uh, shout out to the kid who stepped up and buried his penalty. Uh, the 19-year-old, no problem. But here we go. We go to, uh, again, the referee's criteria ends up getting another Benfica player sent off, while Rakic does not get sent off. And Artur George knows that, the Braga manager. That's why he subs him off at the 59th minute. That's why um, that, you know, Victor Gomez, plenty of opportunities to be sent off. Not even a yellow. He could have easily accumulated two yellows. Nyakate and Tormena, same thing. Braga somehow end up with, you know, with 11 men and... Uh, Duality of criteria. What's yellow for one is not for the other until extra time where every single foul was a yellow. Okay, so Benfica win the toss. You can tell by reading the uh, body language of the referee and the two captains. The first, the first flip, it looks like Braga won it. They selected the side. And then Benfica won the next one and selected to shoot first, which is, in my opinion, always the right idea. 
Um, João Mario, the normal penalty taker, steps up first. Perfect penalty. Full of confidence. And sends, sends uh, is it Mateusz his name? I should know the, yeah, Mateusz, the wrong way. And that Mateusz is one long, long goalkeeper. I mean, um, he, he just, when, when they showed the camera angle from behind the penalty spot, you know, showing the back of the penalty taker, he just looks like he covers so much of the goal. Um, he makes himself look bigger. And uh, João Mari sends him the wrong way. Ricardo Horta steps up for Braga. He scores. And I think this was the closest that Odi got to saving one. Uh, but he just put too much on it. It gets by him. Otamendi steps up, the captain. And I don't know if I... I don't remember him shooting a pen in the World Cup. I don't remember him being one of Argentina's penalty takers. Um, I had no idea what to expect here. And I said, oh, boy, the center back right already. Uh, but he steps up. And perfect, buries it with with force, low and in the to the goalkeeper's right. Benfica stay up two one. Um, Alvaro Jalo steps up for uh, for Braga. The youngster finishes his. And I think this is the other one that I thought Odi might have had a chance to save, but he just couldn't reach his hand out in time. Um, which is 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 strange how a goalkeeper who is a decent to good. Shot stopper and has matches where he's a great shot stopper is unable to really move his hands to make the save. Uh, 2 2. Antonio Silva steps up, and I am nervous. This is a huge spot to put a teenager on. He, he might look a little nervous, but he steps up and he hammers the ball into the corner, sends Mateus the wrong way. At this point, both Otamendi and Antonio Silva. Went to the same side. This is something I used to tell penalty takers to pay attention to. Every goalie dives better to one side than the other. The really great ones, it's hard to tell. But there's very few in that, that you can see don't like to or prefer to dive to one side. I would watch, when I was coaching, I would watch the other team warm up a lot of times. Specifically the goalkeepers. For that very reason, I would I would see which way they like to dive. If I ever did a scouting report on a team, I'd get all I'd get a lot of the goalkeepers' tendencies right. That'd be the first thing I take down because you got to know what the goalkeepers' preferences are, and you try to make him do something else. Um, more on that in a minute. Andre Kashu steps up, confident, sends Odi the wrong way. Three three. Frederick Auschnitz steps up. Now, Frederick Auschnitz converted his penalty at Kaldish, okay, and missed it against, against Portimones. I don't remember if he shot. I believe he's shot to the same place both times. Now, goalkeepers today, if you've taken two penalties, they know where you put both of those penalties when they step up. They prepare for these knockout matches that are going to have penalty shootouts. A goalkeeper knows where the penalty takers like to sh like to kick the ball. This is why today you see so many goalkeepers save penalties. Emiliano Martinez at the World Cup knew every single penalty taker that stepped up, and he knew how to play the mind games even better. He had an unbelievably uh, athletic ability to, to fly across the net, as well as very good body reading skills and just knowing, having studied well 
the penalty takers. And Auschwitz puts the ball right where he put it the other two times. A big, strong goalkeeper, a long, big wingspan goalkeeper like Matosh, when he already knows where you're going, very hard to beat him. And the shot was too much to the middle. I don't know why Auschwitz didn't go the other way. Because I believe Matos had gone to his left twice in a row. Befica had shot to his right twice in a row. Auschwitz knows he's he shoots to the goalkeeper's right. Matos knows that he shoots to the goalkeeper's right. You got two options here, in my opinion, and people say this is a lottery, and it's not. You got two options. Neither of them is shooting to where you've already missed and like to shoot. You either go to the left or you smash it up the middle. That's always a better option. How few goalies stay central in these shootouts? When you got, a, again, a guy who, who looks like he can reach the two posts from the middle of the goal. And he's diving on all of them. He's not staying home on any of them. He knows where you're going, and you should know that he knows where you want to go. You should be, well, I would say you should be kind of wanting to sell that you're going to go there. That That's something maybe, maybe not every kicker can do. And you might telegraph that you're not going to go there if you try to do that too much. But this this one was perfect to just smash up the middle. A Panenka would have worked in this one because he would have gone. He was going. Um, or you just slot it in the other side. I think anything else would have worked. I don't know if if the coaches coach these guys up on this at all. I don't know how much they practice this. Um, but these were things that when I was coaching, I always kept in my mind and in my no my small notepad, especially when I knew the opponent reasonably well. And especially, and at this level, at the senior level, a first division where games are televised and everyone has video access of every team and scout in in video departments in every team uh, have have you know analyzed this up and down. In the old days, they used to tell you pick your spot and go there. That's not the case anymore. These goalies know too much now. You need to you need to fool the goalkeeper. You need to do the unexpected. Um, especially when you're not a power shooter. If you're a guy with power like Otamendi that had hammered it into the low post, it doesn't matter what, what the goalkeeper is going to do. He's not saving it. Unfortunately, Auschwitz, um goes where he's gone the other two times, at least definitely where he went against against Portimones, where Nakamura saved it. And um, if he could fall behind. And... At this point, I had kind of uh, accepted that we were going to lose this one because I couldn't see Odie, Odie making a save. My hope was that Paulo Oliveira, in the fourth spot, the center back who had just come on, would put it over or put it wide. He didn't. Grimaldo, with all the pressure to keep the shootout going, steps up. Matilj almost saves it. He does finally go to, to the goalkeeper's left. Matilj guesses correctly, knowing that he's good, that that Benfica, you know, have uh, 
have shot to the right three times in a row. Law of averages says that he's going to go to the left, and he goes to the keeper's left. But it's a well enough taken that it goes into the goal. And, um, well, Al-Muzarati steps up, and Odie's helpless. Braga win. Uh, tough way to lose. Tough, tough way to lose. Benfica fans uh, almost immediately start singing Iwamu Benfica, la 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 la, and singing Benfica Amor da Minha Vida to salute the players. The players salute the fans. You don't get that on TV because, again, the cameras don't even show that there's Benfica fans there, even though you can hear them. They make it seem like they're not there. There's so many empty seats, it's hard to find them. But there they were. And, um, yeah, Braga's celebrating with the handful of people that are there. They kept everybody else out. But congratulations to them. Uh, they, they did what they had to do. Again, not their fault that the referee completely ruined this, this good match between two good teams in the end. Unfortunate, Befica won't be going to Jamur this year if the final's even going to be there again. You never know in Portugal. They changed things at the last minute. If the godfather of the north uh, permits, the final will be at the Jamur. But, uh, and you know who I'm talking about when I mention him. But, uh, yeah. Braga advanced. They'll take on Anasunal over two legs. There is no mathematical way Braga does not go to the final when you have two legs. Same thing for the the prison stripes, uh, the blue and white prison stripes. There's no way Fumalikão is going to be eliminated or uh, is going to eliminate them over two legs. So I think the final is set with all due respect to those clubs. And yeah, Befica bow out, but it's time to uh, regroup. Think about the Champions League. Think about the league, obviously. No league match this weekend. And, uh, you know, focus on Wednesday in Belgium against against what that publication from the north, that publication created by Olivet Sports, Unoju as I call it, or Ujogu, uh, called them the Real Madrid of Belgium. We're playing the Real Madrid of Belgium on Wednesday. Okay. Um, so we're in for it. But I, I think the team's going to react very, very positively. I think they're going to continue to play well. Um, I don't think fatigue is going to factor in. Uh, they're going to have some players available that uh, didn't that didn't play. I, I think Rafa was saved, although he didn't look great. He also didn't have much support. It's hard for him to play as a striker with no support it, when you're down a man, of course. But I think we're going to be okay. And um, yeah, and then when we come back, we've got we've got Boavista next week in the league. Uh, I'm going to take a break here, okay? And when I come back, I'll briefly run down the last several ma uh, match days, the last several rounds of the Tugão uh, that we missed since I last... <laughs> Since I last recorded sometime in November, um, I know the last match. I didn't talk about the, the Gilles Vicente match before uh, the World Cup break, so I'll pick up from there. I'll just run down some scores and uh, some bullet points on the performance. Um, before I take a break, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually hit some of the reaction um, to the, obviously, fallout of the match. Rui Costa, direct criticism of referee Tiago Martins. I obviously support this one. I've been calling for this for three years. I have been calling for this for three years. I called for it from our former president who did nothing, said nothing, allowed everybody to step on us, and just counted his money in the bank. 
Um, this is exactly where we need to be. I know not everyone agrees. People want to be political. I say political correctness out the window. Political correctness does nobody any good anywhere, never mind in football. It's time. It's an, it, it has reached a point where enough is enough. And I totally agree with and support him both in the press and face-to-face like he did. The video's all over YouTube. Go check it out. He gets right in Tiago Martinez's face and says, Fushed too. It was you who called a, who, who called a referee to the monitor to call a penalty on an identical play that today he did not call. That is inexcusable. That is inexcusable. A couple of weeks ago. Inexcusable. I totally support that. I support Roger Schmidt saying it as well. Suspensions and fines be damned. Okay? The club should just pay them for them because it's true. And the the structure of the club, the board of the club needs to be vocal. It needs to be very, very hypercritical of every single referee we get from here on in. Nobody comes to our matches feeling comfortable from now on. And maybe this is a club-wide, maybe this is a club-wide um, policy now because in today's BT match earlier today, um, Luis Castro did the same thing. He hammered the referee, and, and rightfully so. He he sat there and listed every time that the referee they had today had refereed Befica B. He, he listed off the points he cost them with goals that should not have counted or with calls that were wrong. And I know, again, this is going to offend referees everywhere because if you ever look at a message board, anytime you offend, anytime you criticize a referee, the entire referee fraternity jumps down your throat and tells you to take a whistle. Well, guess what? We're talking about professional football here. We're not talking about kids. We're not talking about volunteers. We're not talking about, you know, part-time referees. These are professional referees. And there's a there is a lot at stake. There is money at stake. There's prestige at stake. There are points at stake. There are you know places in the next round of competitions, and this is not acceptable. And Luis Castro completely 100% right. I 100% stand behind him. Suspend them if they if they might. Just don't let them do it. Don't let them continue to to be this poor. Okay, just because they're afraid of the Godfather from the north. Just because they're afraid of that piece of garbage that runs that garbage club up there. And you know who I'm talking about. And uh, funny side note, uh, during the World Cup break, I got my first one-star rating uh, for the show. And I know who did I know who did that. I know exactly who went in there and clicked a one-star rating. Thank you. It, I don't care. I don't care. My show is not for you. And I'm right on top of it. But um, again, Luis Castro, I applaud, I applaud him uh, coming out on referees, and we need to do it from now on, whatever the consequences may be. Don't have players do it. I prefer it not be coaches because we need coaches. I prefer the clubs, you know, vice. They have 152 vice presidents. Take turns getting suspended and going to matches and slamming referees. That would be my battle plan. Okay, we just we just raked in. 40 minute 40 million up front. Let's let's use some of that on fines taking down referees and making them uncomfortable. Let them know that we are going to call out their mistakes especially when it's incompetence and it's not an error. There's a difference between error and what happened 
in this match in Braga. Okay. Uh, Otamendi had a tweet. I wrote it down. Um, and again, players, I wish players weren't doing this, but I love that he's doing it. He's the captain of the team. I'm sure he's going to get fined for this. But Nicholas Otamendi's tweet, not long after the match, he's probably still in the locker room. Sinceramente, continue, I'll read it in Portuguese, then I'll translate it. Sinceramente, continue sem entender os critérios da decisão para um lado e para o outro. Since, he says, sincerely, I can... I continue to not understand the criteria for these decisions for one side or for the other. This tweet had 31.3 thousand likes, 6,300 retweets, and 1.17 million views. This is what Portuguese football wants to be. This is what we're going to make it. We will in, we will humiliate them. We are big enough. Grimaldo also took to it, but however, he deleted this tweet, but it was up for a moment. And Dromadio even Dromadio even retweeted it, which I thought was funny with the praying hands. I think he he put or the uh, raised hands emoji, but it's Grimaldo. And notice that these players are tweeting in Portuguese and not in their native Spanish. Há momentos para fazer autocrítica. Mas hoje, uh, mas não hoje, excuse me. Um, fazemos tudo para passar a eliminatória, mas foi muito, what did I write? Muito complicado a jogar com inferioridade desde o início. Agora temos que continuar para atingir os objetivos que faltam. Juntos contra todos, carrega Benfica. Translation. From Grimaldo, there are moments to make a self-criticism or a self-assessment. Today was not one of those. We did everything to advance. But it was very complicated playing with a numerically, inf you know, playing uh, inferioridad, tough word for me to say there. Uh, numerical, inf you know, num reduced, I, I can't. I can't translate it perfectly right now. My brain is is not working at its best. But um, working at a numerical disadvantage, we could say, since the beginning. He didn't say since the red card. He says since the beginning, because he's because it's true. Even when we had 11, it was 11 verse 12, 13, 14. Now we have to continue and work towards obtaining our ob our objectives and um, that are left to, to conquer, as he says. And then he says, together against everybody. Sounds familiar. There's, there's a nice expression that the team that's always benefited likes to convince themselves and their Neanderthal fans that uh, they're contra tudo e contra todos, which is the most ridiculous statement when you have are as benefited as they are from everyone and anyone. And then he finishes with Benfica. I don't know if that was meant to be a jab, but he took this down and then just changed it in, you know, gave the generic, uh, we can do this team. We'll, we'll come back better. Okay. That's, uh, basically enough. That's an hour and 15 minutes on this match. I obviously cannot make up three months of dead air in one episode. I'd be here all night and you'd be listening for over for weeks <laughs> if i did that this would turn into an audiobook in itself but because this is an audio 
history, if you will, an archive. It will become an archive someday of the of a, each season. I will, after the break, uh, recap or just run down the results that I missed and give my thoughts on, you know, the performers. And, and again, there won't be any Enzo talk today. Um, I've got much more to talk about that, that I'm going to, don't worry, that's coming. Um, but I'm going to take a break here and, um, I'm going to play for you guys in this break, a short trailer for a new podcast I have coming out this year. Um, it, it may interest my audience in the United States. Um, but I welcome everybody to listen to it, obviously. But, um, if you want to go ahead and skip forward three minutes and one second, cause that is the length of this, of this, uh, this trailer, this is a new project I'm working on, and um, it's going to be a historical podcast called Birth of a Soccer Nation, where I'm going to tell the story of American football, or American soccer, I should say, uh, to, to, to avoid confusion. I prefer to call it football, but to avoid confusion, I'll say American soccer from, uh, you know, the absolute bottom of the barrel, the absolute uh, bottom pit to 20 a million Americans watching. Uh, the United States and England at the World Cup this past this this past November. So um, here's a quick a quick sneak peek. It's coming out later this year on the PTV Media Network. I'm the Mister Mike Agustinu. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinu. You can follow the show on on Twitter as well at Befica at Mister um, Befica. I almost called it a different show. My goodness, it's been a while. I'm getting rusty. At Befica Mister. Do that again. Follow the show at Benfica Mister on Twitter, on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. Um, uh, I noticed not having any any episodes for a while. Cost me a few a few followers, but a lot of followers, I believe, are bots, unfortunately, anyway. Um, but if you're not following yet, please go to at Mike Agostinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O and at Benfica Mister. And give me a follow and I'll be right back uh, after this. What's up, PTB Nation? This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and I'm here to tell you about a brand new podcast coming your way from the PTB Media Network. You know, every weekend in America, American soccer slash football fans, whatever you want to call the sport, tune in to their favorite leagues and watch matches upon matches. Every weekend, upwards of 100 live matches are available on television and on streaming in the United States of America. But did you know that that was not always the case? Did you know that there was a time where soccer was completely obsolete on American television? There was a time when the national team played World Cup qualifiers at high schools. There was a time where there was no English Premier League on Saturday mornings. The only professional game played here in the United States was played indoors. Hard to believe when just this past Black Friday, nearly 20 million Americans tuned in to watch the United States and England at the FIFA World Cup. But that was a pipe dream at the timeline where we start this podcast back at the end of the NASL when it looked bleak, when the United States did not get the bid to host World Cup 86. 
where college soccer was something uh, of an afterthought, uh, where soccer players went and decided to kick for the American football team because there was no future in the sport. I'm taking you back there, and we are going to relive it because it's important to know where we were before we can go where we're going. Birth of a Soccer Nation is a new podcast for the PTV Media Network. It's dropping in 2023 on the Parking the Bus podcast feed. We'll rewatch classic matches, throw in a documentary or two, some newspaper articles, maybe some magazine reads as well, and we'll relive the growth of the game from the bottom up, the underdog story, so we can understand just what it means to be an American soccer fan today and just how hard it was to get here. Listen to Birth of a Soccer Nation wherever you get your podcasts and find it on the Parking the Bus podcast feed. Follow the PTB Media Network on Twitter at PTB underscore media now and be alerted when the first episode drops in 2023. Welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 151. All right, for the sake of for the sake of continuity and for the sake of historical uh, accuracy, you could say, let's recap quickly or run down the results uh, that were not covered in the podcast during this huge hiatus. The last episode, 150, was actually after Benfica had beaten Maccabi Haifa to win the group in the UEFA Champions League. Oh, how highly I spoke of Enzo. <laughs> Not in that episode, but in previous episodes. I, it's it's going to be cringy to go back and listen to the way I spoke about him earlier in the season. Um, if only I had known, especially the part where he said that he was going to, you know, he wanted to use our club as a trampoline, and I totally downplayed it, thinking we'd get at least a season out of him. But anyway. Uh, we had beaten Maccabi Haifa 6-1 in in uh, Haifa in Israel. Uh, that was the last time we talked. So the next match, four days later, was for the Portuguese League, the Liga Portugal, in Istril. Um And we went there, and we won 5-1 over Istril. And let's see here. The goal scorers on that day were Peter Musa, Antonio Silva, Antonio Silva with two, João Mario, and... Mihalo Ristich, those were our five goal scorers that day. The Istrio goal scored by Sergio Andrade in the 90th plus one. Oh, I hate giving up clean sheets at that point in 90 plus one. But a very dominant, dominant performance. Knowing we were going to play Istrio again three days later in the Portuguese Cup, um, we went to Istrio and won 1-0. A different performance, a different group. Uh, Istoril made a lot of adjustments, but David Nerj was good enough to get a goal in the 66th minute. That's after Istoril were down to 10 men with a direct red for Shiku Geralj. Uh, Benfica advance there. And then the final league game before the break on November 13th, Benfica hosted Gilles Vicente at the Luge. We would win that one 3-1. Um, goals from João Mario from the penalty spot in the ninth. Uh, Fran, Fran Navarro, the soon-to-be Porto player, would <laughs> would equalize from 
his own penalty or from the other penalty spot in the 17th. But then Gonzalo Ramos with a double and starting his real spike of form that landed him at the FIFA World Cup where he would get a historic hat trick in the round of 16. Um, real ascent for Gonzalo Ramos uh, before injuries kind of hampered his his uh, momentum. But Benfica would win this one. 3 to 1 in front of 57,266. And then a week later, with most of the eyes of the world uh, ready for the World Cup, Benfica hosted Strela Amadora in the League Cup at the Stadio de Luz. This is the one where we had 41,000 in the house. Uh, sorry, excuse me. I stand corrected. This one was at the Hubleda. Uh, we would go there and win 3 to 2 goals from. Musa Shikinu from the penalty spot. Again, penalty taker. You don't sub off a penalty taker in the 120th minute. You just don't do it. Draxler added a goal. Uh, I haven't even talked about Draxler. I don't think I will in, in this episode. But I'm still holding out hope that he, he becomes a contributor, a more regular contributor in this squad. We have him for, for the rest of the season, and I hope he finds his form. Um, he is a long way from the player he once was, uh, but within that context of who he is right now, I think he can still provide, especially where we are very, very thin there in midfield. We need him to recover. We need him to gain back some of that, that level that we know he can reach. Um, those were the three goals there. Uh, João Silva and Gustavo Rodrigues would score for Strela. Um, Befica picking up three points there in the League Cup. And then this was the match with 41,000 in the League Cup on November the 26th. Yes, the World Cup was going on, but the Liga Portugal would have the League Cup. Why watch the World Cup when you can have the League Cup? And uh, yeah, the only game with really any attendance in this entire tournament. And it was Gilberto and David Neres with goals in the 55th and 56th minute to win 2-0 in front of that large crowd. Mefica seemed set to go to the ne to the quarterfinals. It seemed a foregone conclusion. However, this However, well, before that we had a friendly with Sevilla that nobody cares about except the the press talked about Mefica's first loss. Mefica's first loss of the season in a friendly when on earth has that ever counted as a team's first loss? Um, especially uh, during the World Cup where we were using all kinds of different players. And Draxler was injured again. Morato was injured. Eh, yet, uh, and Sevilla also with plenty of injuries of their own, of guys who came back from the World Cup injured. But um, guys had already been eliminated. But uh, yeah. If you would lose that one, it was no big deal. This was after a 10-day break or a 7-day break that Roger Schmidt gave everybody. And everybody was criticizing Roger Schmidt for that. But you know what? Um, I think that was the smartest thing because as we're regaining our form and now, and as our play is starting to get get its crisp back, get its its pace back, getting its, its, its fluidity back, um, I think that rest is going to be very, very crucial. As this, these matches are now going to come fast and furious, you know, very, very quickly 
with very little rest between the matches again with Champions League starting back up. And of course, uh, the rounds of, uh, you know, we're now in the second half of the league as well. So I think that uh, I think Roger Schmidt, who has managed in leagues that have a winter break before, might know a little better than uh, the, the, the Twitter army and the, the Portuguese press as to uh, how to handle a winter break. So, again, benefit of the doubt there. All right, so Sunday, one week later, sorry, Saturday, December the 17th, week before Christmas, I believe this was the day before the World Cup final, uh, Moreirense hosts Benfica up there in Moreira dos Conegos, and Benfica does everything they can. It was from... I didn't watch any of these matches, I'm going to be honest with you. I have no access to this stupid tournament. Uh, again, the the league has no TV partner for this competition here in the United States. And I'm not about to destroy any more computers watching pirated football games when I pay all this money for streaming services. And there's plenty of other matches at my disposal. Not, it's just an absolute... Sham! This is this this tournament is an absolute joke. Now it has become a joke. It's an absolute money grab, um, and it's a way for the league to basically pat itself on the back. Um, Benfica unable to get a goal, but from everything everyone said, it was an absolute massacre, and um, very unlucky not to win this match. This ends up eliminating Benfica from the League Cup because Moreirense had already known exactly what result they had to get in their match against Estrela da Amadora to go ahead of Befica on goal difference, and they get it. They advance only to lose to Roca, if I'm not mistaken, in the quarterfinals. Roca making their way to the final four uh, of this, this League Cup. But moving on, this was not the biggest... I mean, it was a disappointment because, again, I want to win every trophy. I want Befica to remain the club in Portugal with the most trophies. And at least according to what, according to another club, we no longer are. I think we dispute that that claim. However, I want it to be indisputable. And that brings us to Friday, December the 30th, when I recorded half a podcast and just couldn't do it. I mean, the, the anger that was going through my veins because the word was out that Chelsea were going to come big for Enzo Fernandez. I said I wasn't going to talk about him, but it is part of the context of this match. Enzo decides that uh, he he tries to ask not to play, and the club is like, are you crazy? This is three crucial points. See, Benfica build up the big eight-point lead, and it was crucial. And I know I said this on Twitter. I I didn't record a pod, so I didn't say it, but I was, I was fairly active on Twitter at the time. Um, and. I said it in conversations with some of you that, that this was crucial because I was very afraid. I was very worried about this Braga match coming back from the World Cup and all my fears were realized. It went exactly as I feared. Um, but not the way, not why I thought it would happen. I didn't never expected it to be a player on the inside, a crucial player like this, first refusing to play and then basically playing, standing and running on the field. And if you watch this match on Gold TV in the United States in English, I tweeted at the commentator Nino Torres, my friend, who <laughs> I tweeted him a lot during matches, if you haven't noticed, and on mo- a lot of times get him to read my tweets on the air. That's it, It's a fun little game, and uh, Nino Nino's awesome. But I, I 
as we were losing 3-0 in this match, I sent him a tweet from Goal Point. I reached, I sent him a screenshot of Goal Point that uh, showed Enzo in this match after he'd been subbed off and replaced by Shikinu. What an omen that was. Uh, never, <laughs> never did anyone expect, you know, that that was going to be an omen for what would come in the next month. But I tweeted that he led all players on both teams in turnovers in this match and failed passes. Way out of character. And I said to Nino, his heart is not here anymore. And he took, he, he tried to defend the player. Said, oh, he's just a kid. Don't look how upset he, he the camera zoomed in, happened to zoom in on uh, Enzo just as this tweet was being read. It was quite nice. Um, gave me a nice moment there. <laughs> and uh, I got some tweets from some people saying, hey, I just heard I just heard the guy on Gold TV read your name. I go, yeah, yeah. I talked to him almost every match. Um, but he said, he said, I just got a, a tweet from my friend Mike Agostino. And he says, you know, it looks like Enzo's heart is not in it. Look at it. Look how sad he is. And he didn't look sad. He, to me, he looked frustrated he even had to be there. He made sure to not stick his foot in in any 50-50s. He basically passed the ball sideways or backwards, or he turned it over. He covered very little space. He was not the player we had seen before the World Cup. He definitely was not the player we saw at the World Cup. And man, the worst thing that happened to Benfica this year was Argentina. First losing to Saudi Arabia so that Scaloni realizes he has to put this kid in and then Argentina going from there to win the World Cup. Um, this kid was obviously, Enzo was obviously a key part of that and no one can take away from him what he did at the World Cup for his country. No one can take away from him what he did for Benfica before he left for the World Cup. But uh, again, my, com my, my compliments for him are about to run out. But uh, Benfica humiliated 3-0, their first real bad game of the year. But of course, at the time, I choked up a lot of this to, or chalked up a lot of this to the timing of the match. You could see that the team had clearly lost their rhythm during the break, as, as was to be expected. Braga had, I don't think, any players at the World Cup and were able to prepare for this match for a month. Think about that for a moment. Um, so it it all paid off for them. But then we we came back and played one of our better matches, despite the scoreline being close. A 1-0 win on Friday, January the 6th, at the Luge. Mario converting a penalty, and then Auschwitz, another penalty being awarded. And this time, Mario giving the ball to Auschwitz. And I think this was because Mario nearly had his penalty saved by Nakamura. And I think he knew that the next one was going to be saved. And when Auschwitz offered to take it, I think he said, sure, I want to keep my momentum going. Thinking maybe a different shooter would, would would throw the goalkeeper off and the goalkeeper saved it. Again, it was a carbon copy of the one Auschwitz would miss this past Thursday in Braga. But Benfica would play very well and leave that match with a 1-0 victory. A 1-0 that was never in doubt. Okay, the scoreline might look tight. It was not a very close game. Befica complete control. Then they head to Verzin for the world, for the world, for the Portuguese Cup. Excuse me, it's getting late. Like I said, it's after midnight now. For the Portuguese Cup round of 16 against the, at the time, the leaders in the Liga 3 North, uh, which is a perfect time to segue and plug Liga 3 English returning this Monday. Okay, right here on the feed. 
Liga 3 English. A lot has changed. I'll, I'll bring it all up to date. But anyways, Verzin and Tiago Magarido there, Portista manager, who is not shy about the fact that he's a Portista. Uh, Benfica do well in this one to get on the board early because he makes no mistake that he is going to sit in like he did against Sporting and not allow you know Benfica opportunities, really try to cut it out. But Grimaldo scores in the fourth minute. And then Enzo scores in the 78th. And that infamous ultimate. Maybe, and this is the moment I think that really sealed him as a traitor to Benfica. Because had he not done this, I think a lot of us would feel a little bit differently. But he scores his goal, looks at the Benfica fans, points to the emblem. He may have even kissed it and then said he was staying put. Points to his spot, says, I'm here, I'm staying here. I think he believed and the club believed that Chelsea were not coming back with another offer. I think that's what happened after the, the deal collapsed when Chelsea was not. I'll talk about it in the, in, in a future episode. Uh, Befica Sporting was next on January the 15th. We talked about it. Uh, Tiago Martins, the referee from Thursday night in Braga, was the VAR in this one. The referee in this one was Artur Suarez Dias. The uh, an absolute thief, a brilliant thief. What a duo! No surprise, Artur Suarez is going to be calling the the Sporting Porto match tomorrow or now today because it's after midnight on the thirteenth of February. I can only imagine what type of of, of mental gymnastics he's going to perform to help out his mob boss from the north. Artur Suarez knows that Macaco Madureira knows where his pastry shop is. Artur Suarez likes his windows not broken, likes his doors not spray painted. Um, I expect nothing from Sport. I I don't expect Sporting to get anything out of this match with Porto, despite it being at Alvalade. If they do, I will be thrilled, surprised, and I will be more than happy to say I was wrong. But 62,295 took this match in at the Stadio de Luz. And it was just a night where everything went wrong for Benfica. Um, again, I think the performance was pretty good. Sporting had a decent plan. And, uh, you know, uh, Ruben Amorim seems to always be prepared to play Benfica. He seems to know what he needs to do. Uh, ba scores an own goal. I'll talk about Ba in a minute and my assessment of him so far. But he ends up getting the OG in this one, uh, 27th minute. Then in the 37th, Ramuj equalizes on a nice cross. Uh, the assist came. It doesn't say here who the assist came. It came from Grimaldo. No, Grimaldo got the second assist. Doesn't credit an assist in the in the first goal, but I remember it being off a cross. He finishes it, beating Adan, and it's 1-1. Going to halftime, and then in the 52nd minute is the penalty I've pointed to several times in this episode. Is there contact? Sure. Is it any different than what he did not call in favor of Benfica in Braga? Not really. No. Same kind of thing. But he calls it on Antonio Silva and Potts steps up and, and, and finishes the pen. Ten minutes later Ramos again, this time from Grimaldo makes it 2-2. That's how it finishes. Benfica deserve a little more from this one. Uh, but it is a 2-2 draw with Sporting. And Sporting, when they want to, can be a pretty decent team. 
as they've shown in their matches with Braga, and as they showed in this match, and as they probably will not show in this round 20 match against against Porto in the coming hours. In fact, I, I have the feeling Braga... Uh, again, I shouldn't... Let me start that sentence over. I have a feeling that the Sporting fans will, will cheer Porto to beat them because, again, they don't want to let Porto get too far behind. They're at a spot where they're like, Majval, better let uh, Porto keep, keep their, their distance. God forbid Porto lose any distance to Benfica. So that's where my expectations are for that match. But anyway, um, this one finished 2-2. And Benfica dropped the second set of points. So Benfica at this point, five points dropped in the league. That's all. Um, that complete. Oh, sorry. The first the first half of the season is completed a Saturday, uh, a week later, Saturday, January the twenty first, in the Asurge in Ponta Delgada. Um, Benfica go there. They beat Santa Clara three 0 on a fantastic match from this guy named Enzo Fernandez, who was just phenomenal in this match. And it would be he put on Fat Mob a nine point one uh, rating. Man of the match performance. Little did we know this is the last we would see of Enzo Fernandez in a Benfica kit. Chelsea would show up a day or two later. Uh, now ready to take the, the negotiations seriously. Now ready to uh, pay the amount that it calls for. And at this point, he would decide he was not going to be a Benfica player anymore. I didn't even get into the part where he left the team for New Year's to go to Argentina with his agent, no less. A clear attempt to force his way out of the club. Again, I will unload on all that in another episode. Uh, a week later, we start the second ra- the second half of the season by actually playing our round 20 match. Um, you know, had it moved up from... This coming weekend, because Benfica would have this late in the week Tassa match and then a, a midweek Champions League match next week. So we played Passage de Ferreira on Thursday, January 26th. We went to the Capital of Furniture and at the Capital of Furniture Stadium, Capital do Movel, we would win 2 0. A goal from Grimaldo, another brilliant free kick, and another goal from João Mario. João Mario, you're going to get some props in just a moment. Uh, next match was January 31st on the road at Oroca. And actually, let me take a look here. One thing I need to check. Enzo was actually on the pitch in Passos de I have my history wrong. Uh, played another solid match in Passos de Now, that was on Tuesday. On Wednesday is when he decided he wasn't going to. Sorry, that was on Thursday, the 26th. And by Tuesday, he decided on the final day of the window, he was not going to play. I'll get to this in the next episode and and the way things went down and the way that I followed it. And I got some what I thought at the time was wrong information. But then after a cautious interview, it it connected all the dots and why it seemed like he was going to stay. But anyways. He didn't play, and we played fantastic. And this is where again I got my tweet read. My mess. My it was actually a direct message to uh, to Nino. He read it on the air. He's the man. He's just the man. 
shout out to Nino. Nino, what's up, man? Nino Torres, Gold TV. Um, it was a friend. Benfica played phenomenal. And Benfica go into halftime up 1-0, completely controlling the match. Another goal from João Mario, assisted by, by Auschwitz. And, um, and then the news breaks at halftime that the sale is going to happen at the death. One hour to go in the transfer window. And because this is another Portuguese 9.15 p.m. kickoff on a weeknight in front of a raucous 4,614 in Roca. And <laughs> all Fico fans, by the way. And... Um, you could hear the air just come out of the stadium. I it, it was so strange, but yet so understandable. When the second half started, it's as if the Benfica fans weren't there anymore. And I said to Nino, I go, we and this was when we were up three nothing because João Mario would score again in the fifty fourth, and it was the first goal all season. Benfica scored, and I didn't even react. Um, my attitude probably wasn't the best at this moment. Of course, I'm also working at this time. So in addition to keeping one eye on the match, I got another eye on accounts I'm working on. And who knows who's who's whose accounts I messed up that day. But <laughs> that's another story for another day. But uh, an assist from Gonçal Guedes. This was Gonçal Guedes' uh, debut. And then he was subbed in the 67th. Musa comes on. And Musa scores in the 81st. And again, little reaction from me. Polite clap from the, the crowd. At least it came across that way on television. Maybe live it wasn't quite that that stale or that just deflated. But that's when I hit up Nino and I said, man, we're up 3-0. There's no life in the crowd. This match feel, this feels like a loss because we lost the race to uh, stall until the deadline. And uh, he says on the air, he's like, come on, man. It's a player's world. And you can't prevent the opportunity and this and that. And I didn't even know at the time that the damn guy refused to stay on until the end of the season, keeping all his money whilst the club was willing to part with 20 million euros in the deal. Had I known that at the time, I would not. My sadness would have been rage as it was a day later. And uh, it did. It felt like a loss in a sense that I know we got the points, but and it wasn't even directed at the league, but all of a sudden it's like the Champions League becomes an afterthought. It's it's like once again our hope. And I'm not saying Befica was going to win the Champions League or go to the final, but you could see the semifinals becoming a real reality. And that and I mean that for a club like Befica on a payroll like Befica's would would just be one hell of an achievement that could really just inspire Benfica Nation, inspire the fan base, inspire the players and the club to just continue to go forward with this project, continue to be stronger. And suddenly it's like, do we have enough now to even play in the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, not to disrespect or underestimate Bruges because I don't, despite mocking the, <laughs> the, the headline of them being the Real Madrid of, of Belgium, which is ridiculous because they're not, but anything can happen in a 180-minute tie in the Champions League. I mean, if if the first leg doesn't go well, we put ourselves under a ton of pressure for the second leg at home. But it just felt like the Champions League became an afterthought. Like, 
once again, quarterfinals is our ceiling. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, and with the right draw and maybe some results in other ties, we might be able to still push a semifinal, um, you know, a semifinal uh, accomplishment. But it just felt like it, the air just came out and like we just took a huge step backwards. As the team was just starting to find, I the way I saw it, the team was just starting to play well, just starting to find its form again. We're starting to work our way back towards the pre-World Cup uh, form. And this came and happened, and this just absolutely felt like it could derail the team. But credit to Roger Schmidt, credit to the locker room. And I have to give credit to the captain because this doesn't happen without his leadership. The team, and now it's apparent that the team pulled together in this moment. Um a few other guys left at the at the at the end of the the window. But there was no time for Benfica to go get a replacement for Enzo. And Hui Kasha is 100% right. Again, I'll talk about it in the future, but when he says that Benfica would have had to pay double or or you know one and a half times the rate to get a player to come in, and he probably may not be any better than what we have. There's no guarantee we would be able to get anyone better than what's already here. And to go out and just make a transfer for the sake of making it and spending, you know, ten million to get a five million euro player makes no sense. I agree with that. And it's now an opportunity for different guys to step up. And I, and you know, Joel Neves is going to get his opportunity to play, but I don't think. I think that's too much pressure on the kid right now. But Shikinu so far, and I am not saying he is even in the same atmosphere as Enzo Fernandez. I'm not saying that. But I think he's competent enough to hold on to what we have right now. He's competent enough. And he's he's making the most of his opportunity. Nobody can deny that. You can say he's... I, I don't like... The, the belief that people have set in their mind that a player cannot be a Benfica player. If he is at Benfica, he is a Benfica player. And when you haven't seen a player play at his best because he hasn't been used in his proper position, which he's finally being used in. And I, again, he's not Enzo Fernandez. He's not even Al Muzerati, okay? But he's competent. He's consistent. You can trust him. All we have to do is trust him not to cost us. And he's exceeding all of those expectations right now. And Roger knows best, okay? Everyone doubted him when he when he stuck with Florentino, when he when he stuck with Romario. Remember how many people said, we can't win with a midfield that consists of, of Lu, <laughs> Florentino, Luis, and Romario. Uh, how are we going to win anything? How can we go into the Champions League with that, right? Well, now look at where we stand, okay? We've lost one match all season. We're top of the table. Whatever happens in the in the mini classico, it's not really a classico. It's a, it's a battle of two two brothers, basically Porto and Sporting. And um, whatever happens there, we have a, five, a minimum five point lead at round twenty. Fourteen rounds from the end, we survived the month of January, staying top of the table. Remember what happened the past three Feb the past three Januarys? We've absolutely imploded. So very, very happy with that, okay? Uh, again, whatever happens. Everyone said these guys couldn't cut it, and you know what? Roger Schmidt said, yes, they can cut it, and so far they have, so there's no reason to doubt him. Is Shikinu a long-term answer? No, he's an answer for the rest of the season, I think. And 
we cannot just put somebody there we don't have. Um, and I trust the manager again. If if she can use form dips and he's not able to continue, he'll put someone. He'll make an adjustment. And someone else will go in there. And that's where I think Draxler may. You know, as players get worn down and start needing breaks, because Joao Mario at some point has to dip because he's just playing way above the level we have seen from him in years. And you and we used to I used to say this about PZ as well. It's very similar. It's it's a wave, and you want to ride it until it runs out. And maybe at that point we have a more healthy uh, Draxler that can give us two or three strong performances, even if it's for sixty minutes. And we can work away, and then maybe somebody else comes in and, and earns their their stripes. Who knows? We maybe at that point, you know, Jomario recovers or Auschwitz takes his leap, and suddenly, you know, we make a change, and it's and it's Florentino and Auschwitz, and you bring on when you have a healthy Rafa, a healthy Gonzalo Gedge, and a healthy David Neres, you have all kinds of options out wide. You no longer need Auschwitz out wide, and. I think he's playing wide right now out of necessity, which is why Shikinu is playing. And Shikinu is the guy making the most of his play right now. No question about it. He um, he he's playing a very high efficient pass efficiency. He's positionally very good in that position. This was his position when he played at uh, at Moridens. This was his position at Academica. This was his position at Leixões. So he's very familiar and very comfortable in his role right now. Yeah, he's probably not a long-term, not a long-term answer. But you know what? He is the kind of guy you need in your squad who can come off the bench when needed and not drop the team's level noticeably. And he's done that. The team has kept their level. They have played well. Um, it's it was again on this match. It was a three-nil win at at Aroca, and then finally this past Saturday again another good performance from from the same guys. I'll talk about it again. Shikinu put in a good one. Um, it was a 3-0 win over Kazapia at the Luz. Remember all the difficulty we had with Kazapia in the first uh, first half of the season. I think it was round two. Playing him in Ladio in a practical home away from home game. Um, this one took place in the Luz, like I said, it's in front of 58,763. Joel Mario with the double. Neither of them from the spot. Joe Mario's confidence right now is in is through the sky. He is he is becoming that late arriving f- midfielder um, that we often you know that that Enzo was between what what I think is happening is that between all of the midfielders they're covering they're doing it as a unit they're doing it collectively but they're covering the holes left in Enzo's absence. Joe Mario becoming a goal scorer, scoring two here and joining joining. Gonzalo Ramush and Fran Navarro atop of the goal scoring lead with 12 goals. And now goals and assists. João Mario leads the league with 12 goals and six assists for a total of being in 18 goals. He's level with Fran Navarro. He's level with uh sorry, Mehdi Taremi on that one. All right. And Alexander Boss scores an absolute scorcher, an absolute wonder strike, a worldie, if you will, uh, with his left foot. In the 71st, and the assist was by you guessed it, João Mario, the man of the moment. Um, and if he plays this way for two more months, he's gonna he's gonna have a real claim at being the Portuguese league's player of the year this year, uh, especially if they could continue to get results. Um, again, we saw João Neves, he's debuted in the past month and a half, 
Um, good performance from him, benefiting off of his B-team buddies, deciding not to renew their contracts and to leave on freeze at the end of the year. Clearly, that's not going to put you on the first team. Joan Neves says, sure. Johnny Snows, as I call him. When I'm watching with my son, I say, that's Johnny Snows. And he's getting valuable experience. So that's where we stand. Um, the table right now, as it stands, at 12.23 a.m. on Eastern Time in the United States, 5.23 excuse me, a.m. In, in Portugal right now, uh, a mere, I don't know, 12 hours till till Porto takes the pitch against Sporting. Benfica hold an eight-point lead right now. Obviously, Porto and Sporting and Braga all have a match in hand on them. Uh, Benfica on 53, Porto on 45, Braga on 43, Sporting on 38, and now Vitória Guimarães with their 1-0 victory today against, I believe it was against the Roca today. Uh, they won 1-0. And it was over. It was over Portimones, excuse me, Portumones, if you if you want to call them that. I like to call them that. Um, they they get the one 0 win. They move into fifth, which is a Euro Europa Conference League spot. Um, I think when all is said and done, sixth place will also be a Europa League spot. Right now, sixth place is being. It's a tug of war with a finally. Dipping in form, Casapia on 30, but they still got a player in round 20. They have 30 points. So does Aroca. Aroca has already played in round 20. So Casapia need a result this week uh, to stay ahead of Aroca on points and not on head-to-head, -head, I think is what has them ahead right now. Shavs, surprisingly in eighth, good, uh, a good season for Steven Vitoria and the rest of the Uh The <laughs> Flavians, as they're also known. Uh, 26 points right now from 20 matches. One better than Vizela. Bovista in 10th. They're also on 25 points just like Vizela. Porto Mones is in 11th with 23. Sturil 12th with 22. Riuav 21 points. Same as Famalicão. 13th and 14th respectively. And Gil Vicente uh, sitting one place above the relegation playoff spot. They're in 15th place with so 19 points, four better than Santa Clara. The Bravos of Surianus need points in a hurry. They lost again this weekend. Uh, they will need to get points. They're four behind uh, Gil Vicente right now, but they are two ahead of Maritimo um, in you know the automatic drop line. Maritimo are 17th on 13, and Cesar Peixotos, Passos de Ferreira are on nine points, losing. Uh, they lose this week. I think they. I don't think they. Yeah, they do have. They have played twenty matches in, um, nine points still. Six points from the playoff spot at, at right now is probably their most realistic uh, opportunity to stay in the league. Will be to get to that playoff spot and then hold off uh, the Liga Two's uh, third place team as we get there. May I may, and with Benfica B playing in the in the Liga Two, I'm thinking about possibly adding a segment. Uh, with their stuff, I can't uh, guarantee I'll watch them every week. It's not always the easiest. The, the games do not play at the most convenient times, but uh, I'll try to keep my, my I'll try to keep tabs on them and give you an update on what's going on in Liga Two and just what teams are looking like they're coming up right now. It looks like Morirense is a foregone conclusion to come back up, and um, 
Brian Ashton, El Amador, and Ferenc fighting for that second automatic spot. Uh, that is the table right now, most of the way through round 20. We'll look now at the top goal scorers. I mentioned it earlier, but it's Gonzalo Ramuj at the top, along with Joe Mario, Fran Navarro, all three of them with 12 goals. Then Taremi, one back with 11. Pot with 10. And then from there, we got three guys with eight goals. It's Ricardo Horta, it's Galeno of Porto, and Yushupa Nije of, of uh, Bovista and Simon Banza and Ode Dabag uh, sit there with seven. Simon Banza, of course, is the one that nearly scored in the 90th plus five against Benfica there Thursday with a back heel after a good individual play by Bruma. Ode Dabag is a player for Aroca. Okay, round 21 matches. Let's uh, pull those up quickly before we go in this episode. Uh, round 21. Here we go. Round 21 begins on Friday, February the 17th, in a northern uh, regional clash between Gil Vicente and Vizela. Saturday, February the 18th, Portimonense host Maritimo, Istoril host Passos de Ferreira, and Porto host Rio Ave. Rio Ave did get points from them in the first half of the season. Um, looking at that really quickly, their last match, um, Hiwav did, in fact, win 3-1 at the... I forget the name of their stadium. At their stadium. Which right now is hardly a stadium. It's Stadius Arcus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's hardly a stadium as it's missing a, a major grandstand. Um, at least now they have the cons the construction fence up. It doesn't look as bad as it did when Porto were there, and it was like literally a rope keeping people away. But yeah, they will meet next week at the Dragão. That's Saturday. That's the night game, and then on Sunday, Santa Clara host Famalicão on the island, while Braga host Roca and Casapia will welcome Vitória Guimarães to the Jamor. Yes, the Jamor, not the, the Pino Manique, where they are from. Or the Pina Manique, I think, is the name of their stadium. Um, still a one of these things in Portuguese football, again, only in Portuguese football, uh, that a team here in round 21 is still yet to play a home game on their proper pitch um, for reasons that are kind of nonsensical, especially when... Clubs don't draw that well. Who cares how big their stadium is? Um, but anyway, Casapia hosts, sort of host, in quotations, host Victoria Guimarães at the Jamor. Monday, February 20th, two big clashes on that one. In Trajos Montes, it's, it's Chaves hosting Sporting and at the Luge, Benfica hosting Bovista. Benfica playing another 9.15 p.m. local time kickoff on a weeknight. And uh, that that closes out round 21. Before we go, a few more notes that I did jot down and I skipped right over. Um, just an assessment of all the different things so far uh, this season and mostly in this space of time where there was no podcast episodes recorded. Um, the explosion of João Mario is really the major story. He has just absolutely catapulted himself to the front of... of a lot of racing, like I said, if this continues, he's going to have a valid argument uh, 
and and you know even if it's a long shot he'll be he'll be a shot to be the the MVP or the man of the season the player of the season whatever they call it in Portuguese the ball the boladoru that that a bola hands out um, not to be confused with the ball of prata which is also also ball of prata meaning of course silver ball which is also equivalent to the golden boot not the golden ball but the golden boot um, but João Mario really making an impact right now, helping Benfica transition away from Enzo Fernandez with no no question about it. That is where they stand right now. I have to shout him out for that. Also, Gonzalo Ramos for all the abuse he takes from some segments of the fan base um, and from the the analysts on some of the television networks, of course, continues to find the back of the net when he's healthy. Right now, he leads the league in goals per 90 minutes, and it's not even close. Uh, he's at 0.89 goals per 90 minutes, um, almost a goal a game for for young Gonzalo Ramos. I suppose it's only a matter of time before someone comes in and starts uh, trying to get in his mind, trying to get on his agent's good side, trying to convince his parents uh, that it's time for a move. Hopefully, that doesn't come until the right time. Preferably when Enrique Araujo is prepared to take over, but that's just my opinion. Um, but right now, again, 0.89, almost a goal per, per game from uh, Gonzalo Ramos. Gonzalo Gedge's return on, on loan is huge. He has fit in beautifully, like I said. He's seamless transition back to Benfica, back to Portuguese football, and he's already come up with some big goals and some big assists. Um, he's going to be an important, important piece as we continue to move forward to hopefully eventually winning the 38. Uh, Auschwitz, most consistent, along with Altamendi. These two guys are absolutely consistent. Um, uh, hopefully Auschwitz's head is, is high. Hopefully uh, this missed penalty does not affect him in the next match or in the, the matches going forward. We need him at top, top uh, performance right now, continuing to do what he's done since the day he arrived. Um, again, a 27 year old in his prime, uh, that's the kind of players we need more of a little bit more of that in this team. So we can see this one out. Grimaldo having a career season also not to forget him. And, um, yeah, he's not resigned him and Otamendi neither have, uh, signed their extensions to stay next season. The club is interested in keeping both talks are ongoing. Um, Grimaldo, I have a feeling if if the I don't know that anyone's going to come along with a better offer than what Befica are offering him. To be honest, I think Befica will make every effort to keep him. Uh, he's so instrumental this season. We don't know how many good years he has left, but again, he's not on the wrong side of thirty yet. Um, he's still he's still on his peak, and he probably has another season or two at this level before we start to see that dip. And lastly, we need a healthy Rafa back. He is so crucial. Um, our, we're so much more dangerous when Rafa healthy is on the pitch and finding his way into the empty spots and helping us out of bad situations with the dribble, helping us counterattack with his pace. Um, I can't wait until I see a healthy Rafa again. I hope it's sooner rather than later. Um, lastly, okay, there's a little bit more content, like I said, coming out this week. This is the, my final uh, message here. Um, I have already told you that I'm going to be recording Liga 3 English uh, probably tomorrow night, and it'll go up. Um, it'll go up Monday morning. Um, also, I have, an, like I said, the Hui Costa 
episode or the interview episode where I react to the interview, analyze it. And at that point, I will I will absolutely let loose and uh, show no mercy to one Enzo Fernandez. Um, you'll get my thoughts on that very, very soon. I've, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably uh, have a good idea where I stand, but I have kept it to myself as much as I could so that I could say it on this episode. Also, I got to get you a, a Benfica women's episode. They are on a long international break right now. Um, they have booked their trip to the final in the League Cup. They've booked their trip to the semifinal in the Portuguese Cup, both at the ex- at the expense of our rival Sporting. They got a comfortable 10-point lead atop the Liga BPI. I'll catch you all up to speed on that this week. And uh, also, I have now seen the Benfica documentary, The Factory of Dreams, about the Seychelles. I will be doing an episode recapping that four-piece mini-series, uh, docu-series, if you will. Uh, I will I will give you my thoughts on that, and um, I enjoyed it. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good review. Trust me, I am gonna give it a good a good uh, good score, if you will, or a good rating. Um, but that's it for this episode of Mister Benfica. Again, hard to to recap so much time in one episode, but the the goal and the plan now is to get back to regularly scheduled programming. And I will catch you next time here on Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho signing off. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And the show is at Benfica Mr. Okay. See you next time here on Mr. Benfica signing off. This has been a production of the PTB Media Network. Cajega Benfica. Forza Benfica. We are Benfica. And lastly, most importantly, don't forget to use the hashtag. If you love football, you love Benfica. Goodbye, everybody.